know we're sitting on seven million bucks here, literally. And? I say we take it, split it 50-50, take off. It's not ours. Could be. Yeah, well, I know some people who would have a problem with that. Them? Don't worry about them. Keep feeling right. First thing we do, take six million bucks and build a time machine. Those people that you're worried about, they would never find us. Where would you go first, huh? There's some people I'd like to check on in five or ten years. Make sure they're doing okay. You. It's easy. May 10, 1965. That's the day Warren Buffett took over at Berkshire Hathaway. I figure, got a million left from building the time machine, so I take my half and just stick it into Berkshire. And then I come back here and I'm a billionaire. Uh, is there such a thing as a trillionaire? That's it, honey. What else? Nothing you change. I'm going to miss that show. I think it's maybe just me, but uh, actually a lot of people have been watching Better Call Saul and before that Breaking Bad. Uh, and let me just say something about that. It's kind of like the godfather of TV binge series, They're like the godfather trilogy movies. Extremely well-written, well-directed, well-acted, like classic level uh, uh, in terms of quality, but over-the-top graphically violent. And so sadly, it's only for mature audiences, but I'm mature most of the time. And, and so when I'm feeling mature, I go ahead and watch it. And, and I, I think it's, it's just be, the English lit major in me, maybe it, that's it. I just appreciate so much the honesty with which this is written. It's not for kids. I'm, sadly, I, I'm going to show my like pastor bias here, and it's probably what you'd expect me to say, but I believe it with all my heart. I think this show would get a way bigger audience than it deserves if it wasn't so graphically violent, and I think that's true for a ton of shows that are out there. There's no reason we have to see all that blood and guts and gore. There's just absolutely no reason, and this one's better than Breaking Bad, but it's still bad, and that's just me. And if you agree, can you just say, I agree? Okay, so half of you do, and the other half are like, no, I like the gratuitous violence. I like it. It's over the top. That's awesome. And I don't have a real strong word from the Lord on that, but um, you should repent. But there's, a, <laughs> there's something about this show. Saul is there, and that's uh, the series finale episode. That's the beginning. That's the way it ends. And it was on Monday, so you've had six days to watch it. I'm not going to spoil it all. I'm just going to talk about one aspect of it. There's like 14 different things going on in the series finale. So I'm just going to give you a little preview for those of you who are into it and haven't watched it yet. But for those of you who aren't into it, you don't have to be. I'm just using this as a metaphor. 
Saul and Mike are out there in the middle of the desert. It doesn't matter why for the, for the purposes of this sermon, but they're out there and they're wandering and they have some time to have one of those defining moment talks. And Saul asks Mike, he says, so we're sitting on $7 million. Don't you think we should just steal it, take it and, and, and run away? And Mike says, no. And, and, and then Saul says, well, you know what I'd do if I could? I'd get a time machine, I'd go back and I'd make money. And Mike says to Saul, you heard it. Is that it? It's just all about money? Nothing else? That's the main goal of your life? Just getting more money? You say, yeah, but if you get more money, you get more freedom. And you can buy more things, and you can do more things, and you can, you can have more pleasure in life, and you can pursue more things, and you can see more things, and you can do more things. And so it's more than just money. It's what money gets you. It's all the doors that money opens up, and what's wrong with that? There's really nothing wrong with the money, money the Bible says. It doesn't say that money's the root of all evil. It says falling in love with money is the root of all kinds of evil. Making it our God thinking that it can do for us what money can't do for us or any other worldly pursuit. And that's the issue with Saul. His name is Saul Goodman. It's Saul Goodman, that's how he gets his name. And it's not the name he's born with. It's the name he legally changes to when he becomes this scheming, conniving, ambulance-chasing lawyer who will do anything he possibly can, manipulate people, uh, stomp on people, go over the top of people, steal from people, cheat people, whatever it might be, get, get involved with a drug cartel, do all sorts of illegal things. As long as I'm making money... Saul Good, man. Saul Goodman. It's all good. I'm winning. What could there possibly... That's what Saul says to Mike in that scene. He says, what else? What else could possibly be more important than making more money because of all the freedom it brings you, because of all the good life that it brings you? But that's why I like to show, because it tells the truth about that. It gives us a more honest look at it instead of just a superficial way so many of us live. Where we even say, yeah, yeah, I know there's more to life than money, but I don't live that way. I live my life as if there's nothing more to life than money. Certainly nothing more important. Our Bible reading for today challenges that. And I want to invite you to, if you're going to soak this up, and you're the kind of person who lets God's word challenge you, who has a mature enough faith, instead of just trying to, to say, well, I'm only going to believe in the parts of the Bible I want to believe in that are comfortable for me. If you have the kind of faith that's mature enough to say, I want God's word to challenge me sometimes, to knock me out of the places where I'm about to go off the rails, to, to bring me back, to call me to change the way I think, and, and see things the way God has made them to be, then you're going to want to tune into this. James has some very strong language, some very strong challenges for us. This is God's word through the pen of James. So put on your spiritual harness and pull those belts tight because it's going to get a little bumpy. What is causing you, God's word says at the beginning of our reading for today, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? And the original Greek word here for evil desires translated well into English as evil desires is actually deeper than that and simpler than that in some ways. It's hedon, hedon, hedonism. Pursuing pleasures, the pleasure of money. The, the, the pleasure of hitting mountaintops, of experiences, of, uh, of having the, the, the best possible kind of consumption of life. Well, what's wrong with that? Is God just a giant buzzkill? 
Quite the opposite. When Jesus shows up, he says, the whole point of me coming into this world is to give you joy and to make God's joy in you absolutely complete. But the way you're trying to get it isn't going to get you where you want to go. Don't the quarrels and fights that you have that distract you, that, that hurt your relationships with other people, that hurt your soul, that empty it out, that cause you to live a dissatisfied life no matter how much money you're making, no matter how successful you are from a worldly perspective. Why is it that you're dissatisfied? Why is it that you, that, 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 that you aren't content? Isn't it the evil desires? Isn't it because you're chasing after the wrong goals? Pleasure, pursuits of, uh, of more stuff for me, consuming more. Next verse, here's where Saul Goodman ends up as a manager of a Cinnabon in Omaha, only now he's Gene Takovic. He actually has three different names. He wasn't born Saul Goodman, he was born James McGill. That's who he is. He's the little brother of Chuck McGill, Charles McGill, the brilliant, considered the most respected and brilliant lawyer in all of Albuquerque, New Mexico, in this fictional world. And instead of celebrating that as a little brother, Instead of being proud of his big brother, instead of being his big brother's number one fan, he's jealous. You're jealous of what your brother has. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them, and that's exactly what Saul Goodman does. That's exactly how he schemes. And that's exactly how a lot of people live in this world. I've got a brother who's like Saul's brother, so I could definitely relate to this. My brother was the guy who aced the ACT, zero wrong on the test. I didn't do that. <laughs> he, he, he's the guy who got scholarships on top of scholarships. Ivy League schools were begging him to come. He, he goes to college. He, he becomes an immediate uh, a junior alumni champion a year or two after he graduates and, and is on the, the Hall of Fame, the Academic Hall of Fame at his college. And while he's in grad school, he wins all these awards and he's given a Fulbright scholarship to go study and teach in Germany for, for a year. This is my brother Dave and he's brilliant. And I had two choices. Now, I please, hear my heart on this. I mess up so many things, but I don't know how, but I got this one right early. I have always been proud of him. I've always celebrated him. I'm a big fan of his. My little brother is an all-city basketball player in Chicago, which is kind of a big deal in the public leagues of Chicago. There were 67 public high schools in the public league, all huge schools. My high school had 880 kids in the graduating class, and they all play against each other. So if you make all-city, you're a pretty seriously good basketball player. I was good. He was great. D1 scholarship offers. I played little D3 school basketball. He, he's getting all this stuff. He's, he's the bomb. And, and, and when that's happening, I have two choices. I can go one of two different roads. And usually when I tell these kinds of stories, I'm the one who goes on the mess it up road. But in this case with my brothers, my brilliant older brother, my highly athletic, oh, and by the way, he's musical. That one, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of him. I was there at his games when he's playing in college and I'm in seminary and graduate school. I get my seminary classmates together anytime he was within driving distance and I'd say, hey, you wanna go to my little brother's college basketball game? It's gonna be awesome. He's great, you should see him play. I'm his biggest fan. 
But if we reverse that, if we mess that up, like I mess up so many other things in my life, when we get jealous of what other, others have, when we start playing the comparison game, you'll always find somebody who has more. You'll always find somebody who's doing better in some aspect of life. And you'll start to wish it was you. And you'll start to believe because the devil gets his hooks into you that until you get what that person has, you won't be as happy as that person you think is, but probably isn't. You can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away. Next verse, James is on a roll. He says, so when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you, here's that Greek word again, hedonism, pleasure. It's all about you, isn't it? And here's the thing, here's the problem with that. God didn't make you to make your life all about you. And if you insist on doing it like the world tells you to do, just be the you you want to be. Oh, that makes me nervous. How about just be the you that God made you to be? But in order to do that, you got to go back to your maker. You got to go back to the one who made you and ask God, what did you make me for? What am I doing here? Instead of, I just get to be whoever I want to be. I just get to be worse whoever the world tells me I should be or, or who they say I, I, I could be. And we go right off the rails. Or even if we succeed at it, it's this great disappointment because we get there and it isn't enough. Your motives are all wrong. You're living for selfish ambition and for jealousy and to trying to compete in games that really aren't competitions. Instead of just being happy for people who are better than you at certain things, you're better than them at other things too. Instead of just being satisfied with the balance of that and the complexity of who we all are, we fight fights that aren't worth fighting because we're competing in, in, in competitions that aren't really competitions and we're pursuing selfish ambitions that are all about us when God made us to live selfless lives and we don't get to vote on that. He made you and he made me to live for other people, not for ourselves and we won't be whole, we won't be right until we get there and that's why I love this TV series so much because it's an example, a metaphor of somebody who's pursuing everything the world tells him he needs to get in order to be full, he gets it, he makes his millions and he's a train wreck, an absolute train wreck even though he lives in a mansion now and he has a closet that's bigger than my house it's still not enough What else is there, Saul says to his buddy Mike in that opening clip? What else is there except to live for pleasures? To live for the freedom that money gets you? Look closer. Is it really freedom? Or are you missing freedom because you're pursuing the wrong gods? Next verse. Verse 4. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God? You're going to have to choose. The chapter before, James chapter 3, verse 16, says this. Wherever there is jealousy, everyone say jealousy. jealousy. And selfish ambition, say selfish ambition. Jealousy. Are you trying to make money just for you so you can get more? Or are you trying to make money so you can give? So you can serve? So you can make the world better? But where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find, it gets pretty rough here, buckle up, disorder and evil of every kind. 
This poor little girl, right? Her friend or sister, whoever this is, has two dolls. She has no dolls. And she's clearly not happy about it. She's clearly upset, like Saul was when he looked at his big brother, who's the successful lawyer. She's wearing the T-shirt. Love in action, right? She's got the heart on her little necklace. But isn't that the complexity of the Christian life sometimes? We've got the Bible verses memorized. We show up for church. We do the religious things. We pray the prayers. We go through the motions. But our heart is just something we wear as a necklace. It's really far from God. Wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, you're going to be upset. You can't win that game. And so the only way to win is to let go of living for the wrong things, of making competitions out of things that aren't supposed to be competitions, of making selfish ambition in the pursuit of things the world's told you in a thousand different ways your whole life. If you could just get that, then you'd be free. It's a lie. It leads to disorder and evil. It's evil of every kind. And so as we get deeper into our Bible reading for today in James 4, it tells us about this good news. I don't want to just, you know, hit you, and I hope James didn't want to just hit you with, man, are you messing up in life? You're living, you're derailing your whole thing. You, 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 you just, just don't get it, do you? But then James takes this turn, he says, here's the surprise. Here's the surprising road to real success. It's humility. It isn't getting more for you. It isn't being selfish and having selfish ambition and jealousy. It's being selfless. Living for the glory of God and for the sake of others. And until we do, we're going we're gonna to spin. We're going to be frustrated. Here's how James says you do that. Remember the screen before said it leads to evil desires. Well, cancel the evil desires. Cancel the devil. You can do it. Tell him, no way, not today. We've got a song we sing around here occasionally that says, not today. No, 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 no way, not today. So say that. Everyone say, no way, not today. It's pretty good. But I want you to think about this some more, deeper. I want you to think about all the temptations that you have in your life, the biggest ones. You know what the devil doesn't want you to do? Name them. He doesn't want you to, he wants you to just kind of be, yeah, you know, I feel something's off, but I'm not going to think about it. I, I feel like it's okay, all these things I'm doing, I, I'm going to go after these things. When's the last time you considered the temptations that you're up against? Because the devil is crafty. He's not going to come to us and say, oh, well, blatantly, here's the, here, I, I want you to go rob a bank today. Or like Saul Goodman, I want you to join the drug cartel from Mexico. I mean, that might be a temptation somewhere along the way for, for some, but for most, it's not. You say, well, as long as I'm not doing stuff like, I'm not murdering anybody. I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm not a serial killer. I, I, I'm not a horrible person like them. The devil's got you. What about gossip? What about greed? What about pride? What about uh, coveting? What about jealousy and envy? What about pursuing things? That'll derail you so fast. And me too. It throws us off. So cancel the devil. Think of the temptations you're up against. Name them. 
Name the things that you think the enemy of God's throwing at you subtly, almost always subtly, gently, and, and, and in this deceptive way where he starts to tell you, oh, it's not so bad, everybody's doing that. Everybody, and we come up with these phrases, I'm not gossiping, I'm just blown off steam. I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not jealous of that person, I, I, I just never say anything kind about that person. Everything that comes out of my mouth about that person is based in my jealousy of that person. But I disguise it as that person has flaws. Well, of course they do. That's easy to find. It's the spiritual weak who make that move, who go after the people who we're jealous of and think that we're just telling the truth about the mistakes in their life, the errors, the sins, which we all have, but never being able to say a word of praise The most mature and healthiest people spiritually are the people who praise other people the most. Who are for other people. Who are the champions of other people. Who encourage other people. Who instead of just looking at the darkness or the sin or the mistakes in their lives, they look for the light and they encourage that and they lift those people up. And they say, my goodness, you're really good at that. Cancel the devil. Cancel the temptations to compete. Cancel the temptation to be jealous because it's derailing you. Cancel them. Think about those things and now shout it out with me again because that's what the Bible says. Shout it out. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, we take our first name as a church after him. Imperfect dude, but he said this perfectly. He says, a lot of times I laugh at the devil and I don't laugh at the devil because I think I can take him on me against the devil. I laugh at the devil because I'm like the little kid in the boxing ring with Jesus in my corner. Come on, let's go. Let's rumble. Because me against you, devil, I got no chance. Jesus and me against you, it's going to be a first round knockout. You're going down. So just for today, say no way, not today. Think about the temptations and shout it out. Ready? One, two, three. No way, not today. Don't worry about tomorrow. The Bible says tomorrow you can re-up. But shout it out for the rest of the day. Shout it, I'm not going to compete. I'm not going to be jealous. I'm not going to pursue selfish ambitions. What are we going to say to the devil when he tempts us to do that today? We're going to say? No way, not today. It's just kind of fun, isn't it? It's not a bad way to wake up in the morning. Before your feet hit the floor, just, no way, not today. And if your spouse is sleeping, wait. No way, not today. We're going back to school this week. A lot, in our, a lot of students and teachers and school uh, educators in our church family. Do you know what the number one stressor is for high school students on the first day of school? This might surprise you. It's that question on the bottom of the screen. Where will I sit at lunch? You say, well, that's not a very serious question. Oh, it is. Because you know what's right underneath that question? Where do I fit in? Where will I be included? Will I be included? Will I be excluded? Where, where do I fit? Where's my group? Where are my friends? Who, who's going to allow me in? What, where do I get to connect? Or am I going to just be on my own? And then how am I going to deal with that? Where am I, I going to find my, my neighborhood along the way? Where will I sit when I go back to school? We have a a lot of students going back, and here's what James says about that on the next screen. 
Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life. It's gentle, overflowing with mercy, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. So do the work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. You say, yeah, but I can't control what the bullies do to me. I can't control what the conceited, cool kids do, whether they welcome me in or not. Preach to them. Okay, cool kids, I'm preaching to you. You're overrating your cool crowd. I know this. I was in one in high school because I was in all the sports and did all those things. And so I was invited into that crowd. I'm like, oh, well, now, you know, I'm in. The, I'm in. I, I'm totally in. And the more I looked around in that cool crowd in high school, the more I realized this truth that I think is intergenerational. It doesn't change generation to generation. The cool kids, here's a little secret. Come here, don't tell anybody else. They're not that cool. I know. There really isn't anybody in this, in this country who's been that cool except for like Elvis. You know, may, maybe that's it. Or, and, and maybe like Michael Jackson was very cool for a while. Prince. And that's, I can't think of anyone else. Everybody else is faking it. Everyone else is just pretending to be something they aren't, which of course is a recipe for futility. It's Saul Goodman. I'm going to pretend to be something I'm not. I'm James McGill, but I'm not. I'm, I'm Saul Goodman. And then he ends up becoming Gene Takovic, a Cinnabon manager in Omaha, which is a sweet job. See what I did there? It's a sweet job in a lot of ways, but he's hiding out. He's been taken off the grid. He's lost all his relationships. You can't control what the bullies or other people say to you as you go back to school, but here's what you can control. Who are you going to welcome at your table? Who are you going to invite in? Who in this church at the high school you go to or the junior high or, or wherever you're going back to school, who in this church is going to reach out to the kid who's by himself or herself at lunch on the first day and the second day and the 43rd day and the 175th day? Who's going to always have an eye out for the kids who aren't being included? Who's going to always welcome those kids in? Because you aren't any better. You aren't any cooler than them, and you were created, you were made, and just quite possibly you were sent into your lunchroom for this very reason. To live selflessly. Instead of what's in this lunchroom for me today, oh, this goes beyond high school, doesn't it? It goes to what's in my Bible study group, my hope group, what, what's in this church, what's in my workplace, what's in my cubicles, what, what, what's in my neighborhood, what's in my social circles, what, what's in my group of friends, what's in this for me, what's in this marriage, what's in this family for me? No wonder you're not happy because you weren't made for that. You were made for more. You were made to ask before that, what can God do through me for them, for the other kids in the lunchroom? And so I want you to know we're praying for you, students. I want every student at every campus who hears my voice right now, and that's a lot of campuses and a lot of places. If you're at a sports soccer tournament right now, I want you to stand up in the grandstands if you're a student. Everybody, wherever you are, stand up. You won't be alone. I promise it'll be better than going to the dentist. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just stand up. If you're a student of any grade, any age, college, grad school, preschool, uh, a barber school, beauty school, stay up for a second. Stay up. Here's why I want you to stand. 
we honor you. We're family with you. You are our sisters and brothers in Christ, and you're called. Stay up for one more second. Now, if you're sitting down, whatever campus or local site you're at, I want you to get somebody's attention who's standing up. Go ahead, students standing up. Look around at the people around you, because they're going to say to you, I'm going to be praying for you as you go back to school. Tell them that. Shout it out. You preach. Tell them, I'll be praying for you this week. Whether you know them or not, remember their faces. Remember who's around you. Hey, students, you got a whole church praying for you as you go back to school this week. Sit down. Enough of that. Let's go. Now, teachers, wherever you are, teachers, stand up because you got a job to do. Everybody stand up. Teachers and educators, you're the heroes. You're the heroes. Praise God for you. Praise God for you. Praise God for you. You guys are awesome. Just by you answering the call that you've answered, you're showing how selfless you are. Stay there. Don't be tempted into making teaching all about you. It's not. It's about what God can do through you. Now, look around. Look around. If you're sitting down, you get some teacher's attention, and you shout it out to them. Say, I'm going to remember your face, and I'm going to be praying for you this week. Tell them, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm praying for you as you go back to school. That's what a church does. That's who we are. Uh, school administrators, coaches, everybody else, parents, parents, stand up. We need prayer for you. Everybody, everybody else, stand up, parents. Turn to a parent and say, I'm going to be praying for you this week. Man, it's good to be the church. All right, sit down. Real wisdom, God's wisdom begins with this, this kind of a holy life, being church together. It's gentle. It's selfless, it's overflowing with mercy. It's consistent. It's not hot one day, I'm praying for you on Sunday. Monday, I don't care, I'm living for the Saul Goodman big bucks. Not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. Do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. And here's the beautiful thing about that. Then you'll be free. The kind of freedom money can't buy. The kind of freedom that will make you richer than anybody else ever could be in this world. Except for those who are living this selfless glory to God sort of way. Second thing James 4 says is after you cancel the devil, connect with God. Say, yes, I do belong to you. See, I made it rhyme so you remember it. Shout that out. Think about God and just whisper it though. Don't, don't even shout it out. Just whisper it because God hears you. The Bible says sometimes God comes to us as just a gentle whisper. So whisper back and trust that God hears you. Say, yes, I do belong to you. Yes, I do. Yeah, no, shout it to the devil. Get in his face. No way not today, but to God, yes, I do belong to you. Not a bad way to start your day every day. And you've come to the right church. We're just three weeks away from rally day. You want to connect with God? We've got something for you. Get connected with God and with one another. I was in the kitchen this morning here in West Des Moines where they're making breakfast. You know they've got like taco eggs today or taco something? It's crazy. I didn't think you could do that. But they did, they, they, they found a way, and they said, well, an oven went down, so we had to be creative. So they found this, and they, the grill's working great, and they've got a great breakfast, and they're awesome. And while I'm back there, this guy who's a volunteer turns around and looks at me, he goes, he, I go, man, that's a lot of food. I mean, you could literally feed an army of thousands, because that's what they do. They say, yeah, but it's a small church. I said, what do you mean by that? 
He goes, it's a small church. Oh, there's thousands of people who come here, but I've found my neighborhood. I've found my place. That's what Rally Weekend is all about. So that you don't just come as a nameless face and show up in the crowd, but you find your neighborhood. So all of a sudden, this small city of 15 to 20, big city in a way, depending on where you grew up, of 15 to 20,000 people becomes small as soon as you find your neighbors. As soon as you find your, your group. As soon as you find your ministry, as soon as you find your Bible study, as soon as you find your choir, as soon as you find your, 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 uh, your, your teaching volunteer group leadership, whatever you're going to do to connect with people, all of a sudden he says, my neighborhood's this kitchen. It's the volunteers who come here week in and week out and we're bonded. They're not just cooking you food. They're connecting as sisters and brothers in Christ. And so it goes all around the church. Have you found your neighborhood yet? Have you found your place in God's church? There's so many for all ages. And when Rally Weekend starts, we restart the school year for Hope Kids, our weekend Sunday school. We've got Power Life Confirmation for junior high, middle school kids. We've got Ignition for high school kids. We've got Kairos meeting at the Campanile at Iowa State this Wednesday at 8. And, and a, almost 1,000 students showed up last year. We're hoping for even more this year. And they're going to Iowa City now at University of Iowa because Lord knows they need light. And I'm kidding. They're, they're both great schools. And we've got one in Des Moines at our Hope Elam campus. We've got Revive going to the city, our young adult ministry soon. And we've got a night of worship coming up. We've got the Alpha Course, which is a great place for you to get connected and to get started again. Try it. Explore the meaning of life and faith and what you're doing here before you derail or because you are derailed. And you know there has to be something more to life than this. There is. Third thing James says is confess. Come clean with the dirt and find freedom. It's become a spiritual trend over the last generation or so to try to talk God out of our sin, and it's absolutely a waste of time. I'm just going to say this as simply as I can. Please stop. It's not like it was sin for 20 centuries and now all of a sudden in the last 15 years it's not sin anymore. Whatever it is, it could be a thousand different things. But we're really good at talking that way these days and minimizing Christianity and making it, hey, whatever I want to do, God's good with that. Well, who says? I do. My friends do. Or society does. Do you really think God's persuaded by society? Do you really think God who knows all of history and how it swings like a pendulum back and forth? Do you really think God's going to look at that and goes, well, now that society thinks that's okay, I guess it's not sin anymore. Really? The Bible's very clear on this. It's profound and deep, but so simple. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We're just deceiving ourselves. We're not deceiving God. We're probably not deceiving other people either. But here's the good news. If we confess our sins, confess, James says, come clean with the dirt. Find the freedom that you've been looking for in all the wrong places. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Like I said, in the series finale of Better Call Saul, there's 14 things going on. So this is just one of them. I'm not ruining the whole thing for you. But I had to show you this because it's so relevant to James 4. Saul's a mess of a human being. He's posing. His name's not even Saul Goodman. And he is guilty as all get out. The, the prosecution comes to him before his trial and they say, we've got you, we've got you dead to rights. There's no way you can wiggle out of this. We're, we're, we got like nine lifetime sentences for you. But Saul's a manipulative lawyer and he schemes and he, he's not intimidated. He wiggles around and he reduces it down to seven years. Winning, right? So he can get back out there and make his millions again. Or he can keep doing it from prison. But then uh, it's like these words get a hold of his heart from Jesus in Mark chapter 8. What good would it do for you, Saul, to get everything you want and lose you? What good would it do for you or for me to get everything we want but lose the person that God made us to be? The real you. What could you ever trade your soul for? Is it worth it? Really? Here's the thing about confessing your sins. It sets you free. And Saul realizes this. He has this moment of truth, this defining moment where he gets up and he confesses, well, take a look. Do you swear that the evidence you shall give to the court in this matter shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Mr. Goodman, you are now under oath. I wasn't there when the meth was cooked. I wasn't there when it was sold. I didn't witness any of the murders, but I knew it was happening. I was more than a willing participant. I was indispensable. I kept Walter White out of jail. I laundered his money. I lied for him. I conspired with him, and I made millions. Fact is, Walter White couldn't have done it without me. You got that? Your Honor, we move to strike Mr. Goodman's comments. On what grounds? Uh, speculation. Speculation? He's testifying to his own actions. Your Honor, uh, he's describing events that would have transpired had he acted differently. I have one more thing to say. All right, Mr. Goodman. Go ahead. My brother Chuck. Uh, Charles McGill. You may have known him. He was an incredible lawyer. He's the most brilliant guy I ever met, but he was limited. I tried. I could have tried harder. I should have. Instead, one. Your Honor, Bill, please. Just let me get through this. Instead, when I saw a chance to hurt him, I took it. I got his malpractice insurance canceled. I took away the one thing he lived for, the law. And I'll live with that. thing with your brother that wasn't even a crime. It was. Mr. Goodman, 
Sit down and stay seated. The name's McGill. I'm James McGill. The truth will set you free. Nothing less will do. Saul found the what else. James McGill found the what else. I'm James McGill. That's who I am. I've been faking it. I pretend, pretended to be somebody I wasn't made to be. And the only way I know I'll ever be free is if I tell the truth. If I claim it. And so Saul, for the first time in, what, 12 years of this show, including the one before, for the first time he's free. Even though he's going to prison for sure. He's free. He's free. The truth will set you free. And so the last thing James says is commit to put God at the center of your daily life. Not just when you're here on Sundays, but when you go out there the rest of the week. Live out your faith in daily life. Not just because, you know, you'll be a more mature Christian then. And maybe you'll help other people more that way. It's also what it's going to do to you. It's going to give you the life you've always wanted. Surprise, the humble road to real success. It's humility. It's taking a knee. It's getting down before a holy God and saying, I need you. I need you to forgive my sins. I need your grace to be amazing. When's the last time God's grace was amazing for you? If you can't name it, it's been too long. Take a knee. Take a knee sometime before you go to bed tonight. Talk it out with God. Confess your sins. Tell the truth. Come clean, because you won't find freedom. Money cannot buy you this freedom. You will not be rich, no matter how much stuff you have, no matter how popular you are at school. If you keep crushing people around you to get it. You want to be free? You want to have a full life? Put God at the center. So James says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Now you're going to see new things because you'll finally be the you that God made you to be. Instead of the you everybody keeps telling you you're supposed to be. Look deeper and closer at who God has made you to be and find freedom. This is the coolest part of this whole series I've ever seen. When Saul stood there before the judge and before the world in a public court of law and he said, I'm not Saul Goodman. I'm James McGill. That's who I am. <laughs> who are you? Who are you? You're the son or daughter that God made. Claim it. Figure out who God made you to be and live that out. Amen? Amen. Please stand up and together we'll sing out this closing song.